This is Eric Krasno. You are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been tuning in, everyone that's been sharing the show with your friends. And uh, once again, I ask everybody, if you like the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram, which is Kras Plus One, K-R-A-Z Plus One. I think I can speak for most of you out there um, in saying that I'm really excited that live music is coming back. We've got shows popping up all over the place, festivals, even clubs starting to do shows. I'm actually headed out to do a bunch of shows coming up. Um, I'm playing at Red Rocks with my brand new band on June 4th. Uh, My band's called The Assembly. It's bringing together some amazing musicians um, from the West Coast. Otis McDonald, Curtis Kelly, James the Eighth, Will Blades, all incredible players, great singers. So yeah, we've been putting together a lot of new music um, from my upcoming album and also revamping some old material from all my different projects and we'll be getting out on the road. Some other dates I want to mention uh, are June 5th at Cervantes in Denver with The Assembly. And they just opened up the capacity, so there are now more tickets available. You can find all of that info at ericrasno.com. Also doing a few shows at the Blue Note, three nights, June 29th, June 30th, and July 1st. Um, with a bunch of special guests coming through. Uh, That'll be really, really fun. And then we're also adding some shows in Austin, Texas, August 12th with The Assembly. Uh, I'm doing a DJ set the 13th, the 14th, uh, playing with Taz, Brandon Niederauer, one of my favorite young guitar players. So that'll be really, really cool. Again, all this information at ericrasno.com. And as we move forward, we're going to scale back the show to every other week for a little while as I'm getting ready to put this album out and getting out on the road. Meanwhile, we'll be giving you a lot of new content uh, also through the guest list, which is the premium version of this show where uh, you can hear all the episodes that are currently out ad-free, including the new ones. And we'll be creating new episodes. We've actually already done three called The Guest List, which are really, really cool. We deep dive on some of the previous guests that we've had and just talk about my musical experiences. And I include my really good friend B Gets on the show. So definitely check that out. You can find all the information on that on OsirisPod.com. Very excited about my guest on the show today. He's one of my favorite artists, one of my favorite rappers, MCs, producer. He's a singer as well. It's pretty cool that in the last few weeks, we've had some episodes that are related to one another. We had Talib Kweli a couple weeks ago, who was part of the Raucous Records crew. Pharaoh Monch was also very much a part of that scene, um, which was a really exciting time for hip hop in New York. I was a huge fan of Organized Confusion which was Pharaoh's group with Prince Poe. But then after that, he went solo and made Internal Affairs, which was one of my absolute favorite albums ever. So we talk a lot about that time in hip hop and that era, but we also get into his current project, 13, with Marcus Machado and Daru Jones. We also talk a bit about the song we made together with Citizen Cope, who was a guest on my show very recently as well. So I'm excited to get into this one, but first we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's an amazing artist, a rapper, an MC, a singer, and one of the most respected lyricists in hip hop. I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Pharaoh Munch. 
Things are starting to happen again. It seems it, it seems mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a good feeling. It's kind of crazy though. I, to be honest, I got used to chilling in my studio and hanging in the backyard, and you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. Life is funny like that, and it and it tells you about uh, all of these constructs that you get inundated with or accustomed to, and then just like that. You're like, man, the backyard and the birds aren't so bad, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> man, I have, you know, in 20-something years, or really never, I should say, have I ever spent this much time just kind of like reading, walking, like doing normal things that I think you're right. We should be doing these things. You know what I mean? Like we're all kind of trained to hustle all the time and chase things. You know what I mean? So uh, I've been coming to appreciate the downtime and and uh, relaxing, and also just like creating at a pace that's that's healthy. You know, like creating music in a way where it's not like okay, you got two days or you got deadlines or you know what I mean? Yeah, man. I remember one time I was in uh, Portugal somewhere, and we had a couple of days off. Me and my role, it was just me and my role manager. Blind was meeting us somewhere. And we we were, I think it was Thanksgiving in America. And, you know, I was just like, whatever, we'll find some, you know, some food somewhere or wherever. And we were just walking around and, and it was just like, just so great to smell the flowers, literally stop and yeah. smell the flowers. And I'm like, Yo, when is the last time you literally like really, really, really did that? That's good. I've I've actually yeah. spoken to a lot of musicians that have told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it's kind of just taking the time to sort through some things that when we're just like running and, and touring and trying to make records and doing all this stuff, it, you kind of lose track of of some of these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or at least you don't prioritize it. So I think that that's been good. I've also just seen so many people get into different things. I mean, when you're a musician uh, and and it's so hard to like take up other hobbies, you know what I mean? I feel like none of my musician friends, I'm like, what do you do besides music? And no one, you know, some people have a couple things, but you know, now like people are getting into, you know, whatever it is. My friends have been like, yo, let's go play Frisbee golf. I'm like, I didn't even really know that was a thing. <laughs> golf with Frisbees. As you can see behind me, I got into a little hobby myself. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about that. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about, about this, uh, dare I call it an obsession with, uh, superheroes and, uh, I've always been, you know, uh, kind of like into the Marvel DC world, into the films and into anime and comic books. I went to art school and the whole shit. So I was down here in the basement doing zooms and a friend of mine was like, you know, what's that whack? you know, figure you have in the back. And I was like, look, and it was like an old school fucking little small thing. Yeah. And I had some Monty cheese and he was like, yo, let me turn you on to some, some really fly shit. Yeah. And that was the end of it, man. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, you know? So I just started going crazy. Yeah. After that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's always been uh, a connection with hip hop and superheroes and, I mean, obvi- I mean, obviously, hip hop culture and the art 
in general? Like, were you into that? Were you into comic books as a kid? Definitely. Like I said, I collected uh, Marvel heavily, especially X-Men when I was in high school. But I went to, uh, I, I took computer graphics and commercial art and advertising and, and art and design high school in Manhattan uh, with Prodigy and um, Prince Poe went, Percy P and um, Kwame and Fable and all these other like, and, and that's when I just got hit with the bug. Like obviously hip hop had been around for a minute, but it, it just kind of like, exploded in the in the late 80s and i was just like yo this is crazy you know and 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 i you know had to leave the my art side in the past and i I was like i have to be a part of this hip-hop shit man you know do you remember the first hip-hop record or even party like what was the first like experience with the culture that that drew you in first time i was at a block party and i saw somebody throw down some linoleum and break dance was when I was like, this is different. Right. I don't think, I don't think it's, it's a fad because it's, it's crossing over into, you know, something I never saw before in terms of uh, culturally. And it was, it was, you know, Riders and style and fashion and dancing, as well as the DJing and the MCing, and I was just like, I don't know. I was thankful that that I got into it. It was amazed by it in those moments because it was a, an array of different facets that I was drawn to. By the time I uh, was thinking about doing it professionally and started digging for records, you know, you know, got we got samplers and all that shit. I was noticing that. Uh, you know, things 20 years, you know, records, you know, the James Brown, the seven, the, the 70 to 73 era uh, area that we were like really picking from, you know, got me to say if these records are still resonating with me, if this is what I'm listening to and I'm not even sampling, I'm just like, this shit is an amazing record. Right. But it's 20 years, 30 years old or whatever it led me to believe that I could have a, a career in hip hop in a time when people were saying it was just a fad. And I was like, I don't think that's true. You know what I mean? Like it, it led me to look from this starting point and say, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I want people to find my shit and be like, man, this is a really good record. Instead of at the time, you know, they were touting it as something you just do for the summer. A summer song comes out. Right, right. It hit and it goes away. And, you know, I was like, nah, bruh, I'm not going to look at it like that. Even in organized confusion, we were like, we wanted to, you know, have careers. Well, I, I mean, I was listening to Equinox this morning and mm. it holds up, man. Like a lot of music in that era, the production sounds like dated, to be honest. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. you guys, because it's interesting, you're talking about James Brown. And but a lot you got a lot of people were using break beats in that era, but you can hear that you guys are programming beats and you guys were doing some really interesting production on all of the organized confusion confusion records. And I was curious a yeah. little bit that process and how well even going back 
further, like linking up with Prince Prince Poe. Initially, you were like beatboxing, right? There you go. Like I was like, how can I be a part of this shit? So right. you know, I was trying to do anything to gain access into the world of you know. I was I was feeling uh, feeling it in, in that sense and wanted to be a part of all the. I had black books. I was tagging up shit everywhere. I mean, I was doing it all. You know, that being said, you know, my, my, my family background, gospel, soul, jazz, rock, and my, my oldest brother, who who is like kind of like responsible for the whole foresight, was heavily into rock. I remember like seeing the deep purple covers and hearing smoke on the water and and the Sabbath and all that shit, as well as he was really transitioned from that into Weather Report, the big Weather Report fan. I, I think that Weather Report kind of sound was like primary to a lot of the organized shit in terms of I would hear these like tempo changes and like aggressions and like just chord changes in their music because I've got into them as well. I'm a big fan, but I'm saying even from that early, early point, when we started like records like Hypnotical Gases, it, it, I was like, okay, how do we transition from, you know, 98, 97 beats per minute to 85 beat per, beats per minute, change the whole, we're not musicians. So I'm just like, I want to do what they did, but how do I program this? How do I get this to switch? We're working with um, Anton Puchowski at the time. And literally, you know, because of his instrumentation, he played bass, he played a little guitar and shit. Right, right. From Power Play, you know, met him through the, 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 the Paul, the, the Large Professor era. Literally, on songs like that, we were still splicing the, the two-inch tape. Wow. You know what I mean? For anybody wow. out there who even remembers that shit. So oh, I remember, yeah. like, we went to this transition and to change the tempo on that song, you know, I remember watching him do that shit and I'm like, oh, we can't fuck this up, you know. But yeah, yeah. it worked. It was that type of stuff that gave us a name and notoriety and in hip-hop. I think, you know, for daring to... Try shit like that and, 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 and do shit like that, yeah. interesting that you point a, point out uh weather report and because that makes sense because i was going to ask you because you've always pushed lyricism to a new place i mean throughout your career i can hear you pushing it you know what i mean just like how you hear like a chick korea or a herbie hancock through their career pushing you know technology will change what they're doing they'll be listening to other people they might have an experience with indian music or with this and that mm, right um exactly you know what i mean that that will influence them what are some of the records uh that you grew up on in your household like what were your parents listening to you know in terms of um 
holding notes and runs, I do cite Coltrane a lot. Yep. But it is a lot of uh, Joe Zoe Nall and Hancock and Chick Corea. Yeah. That that were kind of doing these kind of runs. That when I became an MC, I was like, I want to kind of emulate those those note changes and those, you know have some uh tonality and 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 various things you do with your voice rather than being monotone uh i thought could get me out of and get us out of the box that i saw cats were falling into and you know i, I attribute that to a lot of that that era of the fusion shit with return to forever and where Herbie was going, it was like funk and fusion and soul. And a lot of those breaks were like, oh my God, you know, it would just take me somewhere. And I, you, you'd sit there and you'd wonder like, where are the, you know, where are they? Like, what is this song about? There's, 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 there's just instrumentation. So my mind would be like, oh, let me see if I can interpret, you know, where these cats are at with it. And it, it's funny you should say that because Obviously, it was it was Indian influence and all type of religious influences and travel experiences that that I was hearing in, in their music, which, you know, allowed the lyrics and the writing to go there with, with organized confusion and some of the more obscure shit. But to answer your question, it was everything, man. It was it was the Silvers. It was Jackson five. It was Marvin and Stevie. It was gospel, Clark sisters. It was a little bit of everything that influenced me. And anything that, and this is what's dope about one of the principles of hip hop. Anything that I could hear that I would be like, yo, shit, this is dope. I could play for somebody where we would claim it. You know, this is some hip hop shit. This is a hip hop moment. Right, anything right. that that makes you be like <laughs> you know, yeah how can we utilize this or implement this feeling or a piece of this into hip-hop which is insane about hip-hop like you need to be a little versed in all music genres so, because it is you know it is all music genres you, you're talking about reggae breaks and, and and rock breaks and all these different vibes and shit like you had to be experienced in in it and by the time the the heavy digging in the crates came around it was like you don't want to be in this batch of looking through james brown records and then something even iller is right in the next pile you know so you had to be like all over the place studying band members oh shit you know uh you know this guy left you know after playing with uh ron carter got his own band and this person got his own band now you're going through all this different shit so you had to be on point obviously with your music as an MC and even as a producer, because everybody had to do their own level of digging through records during that time, you know? And what was your first tool for production uh, when you started sampling and stuff like that? It was a uh, SP-1200. We, we started with that and that was amazing because it, it forced you to make a certain style of beat because you didn't have much fucking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you would just fucking like sounds, do, 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 yeah. do, 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 you know? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we got the 950 and uh, the Kai 950, which I still was like, I don't want to let this thing make me lazy. Right. You know, like it was some expansive, crazy thing, you know? Yeah. 
So you're still like trying to think a, a certain way about constructing beats. Yeah, I, I man, I try to explain to like a lot of young producers come through with with Ableton, mm-hmm. and I use Ableton now because there's just there's mm-hmm. no denying it. It's amazing, but, but it's amazing. I, I try to explain to them what we used to go through with like an ASR ten. Mm-hmm connecting mm-hmm. it to the MPC and having this little mm-hmm. bit of time and having to press the play button with precision, you know, on the one, <laughs> you know, in order to lay down the separate tracks. And then if you had the like multiple outs to the ADAT yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, man, like what we used to have to go through in the early days um, of making beats was crazy. And I used to also, I got to work with a lot of great producers because I could play guitar and a little keys and Mm -hmm. a little whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got to learn from cats like DJ Spinna and the Beat Nuts and a lot of these guys. And watching their knowledge of records, man, was unbelievable. Again, like you're saying, just like knowing the players, knowing Mm -hmm. the eras, and that mm-hmm. knowing how to find that moment, like you're talking about, the goosebump mm-hmm. moment in the record. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. ask about, you know, hip hop and, and where, because to me, it's not a, like you're saying, it's it's more of a feeling because every genre has those moments. And all these mm-hmm. different records have those moments that you can find. Um, and it was so interesting for me, like learning from these from these cats and yeah. getting to absorb some of that. And like sometimes I'd go in and I would trade guitar for like them giving me sounds and, and samples mm-hmm. and, and getting mm-hmm. to play, you know, to record some mm-hmm. of their records, which was a crazy experience. But during that time, I was a huge fan of everything that Raucous was doing. I got to play on, you know, some mm-hmm. of those records as well. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that era, how you linked up with uh the whole raucous crew and, and kind of like just what was what that whole scene was like because now we look back at it as this like to me it was it, it changed it was a game changer so i'm curious just a little bit of that backstory just just coming off of, of wanting to you know um get get these 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 thoughts out of my head uh that i had and an experiment with uh you know the solo the solo part of my career, you know, I just started working out. Uh, I mean, like working out, like making beats, experimenting. What's your sound going to be? What's your voice going to be? And um, got got with Lee Stone, who was a uh, super instrumental in that in that whole process. He had a studio uh, above his parents' house called the Grandma's Hands. Because his grandmother had had made these quilts that he used for the soundproofing in the in the closet <laughs> where we did we we did vocals. You know, I would just ride my bike over there in the summer. Anybody who 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 knows recording is like hot, and uh, we had to like turn the air condition off so the sound could be clean and everything. And it was just like Rocky Balboa like training in the snow, and and I just was like, you need this type of uh sort of taking it back to the early stages to kind of um see if you're really about doing this thing solo and so um it really whipped me into shape recording that way whipped me into shape it it exercised different muscles in my in my recording process and learning process and it pushed me um, by the time we had um, 
done a couple of demos, I still was like, I need to be sure about this on a couple of other levels. I went on tour with Bobito and High and Mighty and uh, Q Unique and Destroy to like Europe, like Germany. And we, we, we had this small little tour that we did in a van and I was by myself with a DAT player and I would literally push the DAT player to start my show and right. walk on stage by myself. Like, wow. I, I wanted to put myself through the ringer that way and to, to, to ask, to prove to myself, like, are you really about this life? Like, yeah, yeah. If you make it through this and you could do music for these people and rap for these people and, and get through it this way, then you, you prove something to yourself. You prove something to me. So the tour was really, really successful. I was doing um, some old stuff, but a lot of new shit, which is something that um, I learned to do during this this run. Like shit people never heard before. Right. So you had no solo recordings out yet at this point. Right? No. Am I right? Okay. Which is right. Which is obviously not easy to do. Yeah, yeah. I come back. I'm like, yo, this, this, these two right here really went over well with the crowd. And now that I got the experience, I. I want to make some adjustments to the recordings because I know how I want the crowd to react in a live situation. I got back and I was positive about it and I started wanting to shop some music. I was just hanging out with my friend, Mr. Complex. And I was like, where the, where is everybody going right now? Like for shows and what's popping right now and what's happening in the music industry right now. You know, he was telling me about uh, Lyricist Lounge and, you know, a lot of artists get up there and, you know, work their shit out and they bring people up and open mic and shit. And I'm like, yeah, I got to go. And he was like, oh, also this kid, uh, Talib Kweli has a bookstore in Brooklyn. And him and this other kid, most definitely in there sometimes. And they like, you know, they put on some music and they, they do some songs and it's not really big. And I was like, yeah, let's check them out too. And I went in Curo Books. I don't know what it held, like, 24, 30 people. And we went to see Mo Sinqua. They had some routines. And I just, I was like, these guys got it. Yeah. And I love the fact that they were working on routines and their craft. And I could hear it. They were trading back and forth and, you know, doing kind of the old school shit. And I was like, oh man, these dudes are dope. These dudes are dope. So I met Quali and Quali, you know, was like, yo, we got to work together. And I'm a big fan. And I listen to your organized stuff and you got to check out these raucous dudes. And I'm like, raucous? Like, I, I didn't know shit. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, this record, they put this out. And they did this. And you, you know, you should check them out. Primarily, he was the one who put me on and I brought my stuff there and they were like, this shit is crazy. And, I, you know, I tell the, the, the humble beginnings of that to say, when I got around the hunger of those artists, and I, I really think Raucus was really good at, at spotting talent and hearing talent. It, it was another amazing thing because in the, in the setting uh, with, with Hollywood Records, with Organized, the label was in California. And we really wasn't a, 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 on a label side around our mates and interacting right, right. as much. So this just put me in a sense where like the office was in Manhattan, 
the studios we were using, it was like, bomb, greatness, 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 greatness. It was just uh, the energy. And I felt in that moment, like you said, I'm like, from what I'm hearing, this is like some new Def Jam shit. Like, yeah. really, like, not just to, to, to throw it out there. In the moment, I was like, man, like, these dudes are putting out singles every month and their quality and they're mixed really well. And, you know, that's what it's about. And um, not too many labels were doing that shit at the time. So they were like readjusting the volume to of quality records. You know, mixtapes were popular, but these dudes were doing quality vinyl and quality records at, at, at a high rate. And I was like, this is really dope. So it inspired me too. You know, just seeing what was going on in the industry at the time in the in the upper echelon, you know, I was like, it's 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 really no different. And I can compete. You know, personally I was I was telling the guys I can compete with anything that's going on right now. We all felt like we could. It's just our process was different. You know, I was telling the guys I could give you, you know, music that's authentic, but that can still compete with what's on the radio right now. And that, that was kind of my goal to come as raw as possible. But still, if it made it to your ears, you would be like, it's the same shit. Yeah. And it was surprising to hear that, uh, you know, in that moment, I speak about that moment because, you know, it was a lot of talk about well, this shiny suit, hip hop versus backpack hip hop versus this type of hip hop. You know, New York was really, really popping at the time. And we were all like listening to each other. Like the guys at the radio and the guys who were doing radio would, would come to me and be like, yo, you know, I would just listen with these dudes and these guys and Jay-Z and these guys and they're, they're listening to Tarot Monch and Most Def, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, and right. we're listening to Jay-Z and, and, and the locks and shit, you know, so. Right, right. It was it was kind of like moved in different circles, but if you're from New York, it's it's all the same shit. Just the process is different. We'll be right back after this short break. I'm curious about the process of, of making Eternal Affairs, which is to me one of the classic albums of hip hop. Period. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, and I know a lot of, like you explained before, a lot of that was made with Lee Stone up mm -hmm. in, at Grandma's hands, but also mm -hmm. Diamond D was involved, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of great producers. Um, did you mm -hmm. make that? Did you make kind of demos at Lee's and then go to the studio, or what? What was that process like? I had a studio at the crib. You should say I had a 2000 yeah. SB12, 950, same type of shit. You know, I did Behind Closed Doors, Rape, Queens, Godsend, Simon. And I would just kind of like knock the beats out yeah. at the crib, loop them up, do drums, kind of get a feel for it. You know, was vocaling at Leeds because we were tracking at Leeds for a lot of my stuff, his stuff, the stuff we did collectively. Right, right. Um, but it was it was an experience, man. It, it was like um, 
I didn't get to do a lot of uh, features in the group because we were a group, you know, it's like, I knew that I wanted a lot of features, but I didn't want the shit to sound like a comp- compilation album because I hate those. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to use my feature Rolodex poignant and 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 with purpose. Right. You know what I'm saying? When you listen to the, the Alchemist MOP record, you know, I would always say, like, I got to get the perfect, you know, people on the song. And it, a lot of that worked out on Internal Affairs. Um. Just a quick story about the, the the Alchemist beat. I was in the studio with him and he was going through, you know, beats, playing me music. And I'm like, oh man, that one is dope. You know, put that one aside, mark that down. Ooh, this one's, ooh, that's fire. That, yeah, bite that off. Okay, fast forward. And he plays Show No Mercy. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Oh my God. And the shit just comes out. I'm like, I need this. I need two more hard beats for my album. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And he was like, ah, oh, my bad, man. I didn't mean to play that. That's for Prodigy. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. my bad. And I was like, no! <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he took that already. And um, just to show you how hungry I was at the time. Yeah. I was like, give me his number right now. Yeah, give yeah. me his number. And I was like, I'm like, I'm going to call him right now. I need this beat. I need this beat. Yeah. I need this beat. And I called him and he was like, yo, 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 what up? Who this? I'm like, yo, it's Pharaoh. I'm in the studio with, with Alchemist right now. And um, he just played this joint. I just wanted to see if you were still using it or where you at with it. And I could tell he was like, what the fuck? He was like, yo, play the beat. I was like, I'll play the beat. I get back on the phone and he's like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm using that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yo, man, I need this beat, man. Yeah. Beat, I wouldn't call you if I didn't need this beat. I need this beat. And I beat him in the head. And he was like, all right, man. You know, if you that animate about the shit, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead. Go ahead, son. Yeah. I was like, ah. I was like, yo, he said I could have a beat. Yeah. I was just kind of like taken aback, like, whoa, that was <laughs> crazy. <laughs> a little bit and I was like I know I know MOP 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 came to the studio and I was like this is what I want you know I'm almost come first and then I wanted to want the energy to you know how you guys make the energy higher that's what I want yeah and do what I was like do what you do they was like no do what you do you write the chorus I'm like no y'all write the chorus they was like no you write the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote the chorus did it together and, and they, they bodied that shit. Rest in peace, the prodigy, man. Like, like it meant so much to me. Sometime, like, before he passed, you know, he told me he wanted to, to, to work on some shit, too. You know, and, and I regret that. But I never forget 
him and Havoc came to the session. And he was like, yo, what up? Boom, boom, boom. Al said the shit is dope. You know, I want to hear it. You know, I want to hear it for myself. And Al played that shit. And him and Havoc was like, yo, this shit's crazy. And they dapped me up and then they, they left. Wow. That was that. Yeah. Wow. I was like, wow. Did you ever do anything with Mob Deep on their records? Nah, nah never no, did so anything. Never actually collaborated. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Tell me about when you when you're collaborating with an artist, um, do you try to put yourself in the heads their kind of headspace? Like when, when like for example, if you're writing a hook um and you know you you got a particular artist coming on that song, mm. like what's your what's your mm. process like? It it depends on the music. If it's a song where it's like, you know, a variety song where I could tell the producer wants he picked these artists because he wants me to do a quote unquote Pharaoh Monch thing and Buster to do a Buster thing and this artist to do that thing. I'll, I'll try to uh, stay in that space or ask, ask the producer specifically what he wants because I'm all over the place. If it's a, if it's a somebody asking me to be a part of their project and their song, depending on the artist and depending on the song, I'm like, what do you want me in the song? Because introing a song is a specific feel than ending a song. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about all those different things in my approach. And of late, people give me music and they just like write a song. And I'm, I'm just like, yeah. I don't even know where to, where to begin with what I've done over my career. Like I remember one time um, I was on one of the Pete Rock projects. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is dope. Like, what do you want me to do? He's like, do what you do. And I'm like, what does that mean? He's right. like, you know, you sing a little bit, you do a little bit of that, do a little bit of this. I was like, okay, I know which Pharaoh you want. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? that, I mean, I've heard you take on so many different personas, you know, mm -hmm. on, on your records. I mean, I think that, that I've heard that's one of the pieces um, – in your evolution though, too, is that, mm -hmm. and then, and I want to get into the new project, uh, cause that's a whole other thing. But before we go there, I gotta ask you a little bit about Simon says potentially the most, uh, um, you know, controversial <laughs> hip hop record in terms of sampling and all that. Um, tell me about the creation of that. And like, how did you come across uh, that sample and and, uh, and put that song together around it. One of my best friends and my, my, my best friend, good friend to this day, just was talking to him uh, earlier today, big sports fanatic, sports fan like like myself. He, he's also a, a, you know, Godzilla monster movie, King Kong buff. So we were just talking about the latest, the latest film that came out not yeah. too long ago. Um, ironically, um, he had went to Tower Records and he bought this uh, this monster kind of like CD, various shit on it. Yeah. He came home, chilling. He lived uh, not too far from me. And um, he was like, yo, you got to hear this CD, man. This shit's incredible. It's like it's like original music and sound yeah. and yeah. everything from from the films. So I went down to his house and I played like three different things just, just skipping through. And I'm like, it was mad shit. Like 
different things on there. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. You know, this is how this is orchestrated, blah, 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 blah. And we got to the, uh, the Godzilla joint and I played it and I was like, holy shit. And I, you know, this is an intro and this is a chop. You know what I mean? Like, but when I got it back to the crib, I just worked on those four notes and got the feel the way I wanted to get the feel and got the drums the way I wanted to get the drums and just, and just was playing it, listening to loop. And I sat there like, this is it, bro. Like yeah, this yeah. is give. I, I've never felt this way before. It's so simple, but it's a lot of power in it. And I said to myself, the only thing you could do is fuck this song up. Before I wrote anything, I was like, stay out of the way of this record because it. I'm listening to it and I'm already like feeling it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm like I'm like technically it. It doesn't need you. You can only fuck this up. You know what right. I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah. that's the sign of that's the sign of a a, a decent ass of, uh, producer. Yep. To be able to say that to yourself as an artist, don't fuck this record up. Stay out of the way of the music and work around the music. The way the energy is on this song, you got to tell people what to do. You can't ask. You can't be polite. Think about what you want. Yeah. <laughs> think about what you want to tell people to do. Yeah. And think about the voice that you want to tell them that. At the time, I was I was watching a, li- a, a lot of like gangster films, Italian gangster movies. So that's why it kind of has that get the fuck up attitude to it. Another thing, uh, as a producer, I was like, you have to write the chorus first. Don't yeah. get don't get caught up into these these bars or the verse. Let's get this chorus out of the way so you yeah. know what we're doing. After I got that out of the way, I said to myself, I want to write a, you know, verses that, um, you know, as, as a fan of like LL and as a fan of like Biggie and as a fan of like different kind of things that, that were out, I was like, I want, you know, something that the audience could rhyme back to me. Not that it was to be simplistic, but it's just the attitude of it makes you at home want to go in the mirror and, and say these rhymes. You know what I mean? I'm like, up until that point, I know MCs would recite joints, but I don't know if the average person would hear a, a song and be like, I want to be that guy who I'm hearing. Like with LL's records, I'm bad or whatever. I would be like, I'm LL Cool J. I yeah. could do it in a minute, you know. So I wanted that kind of like to make that kind of record. So that was the construct that I put in in front of me before I even started to be like, y'all know the name, you know, pop shit, New York, and see if you could get that attitude across to get people to say the lyrics. And and for for the most part, um, once I got it all recorded, I was definitely like this is a hit record. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even have to play this for anybody. I mean, to, to get it validated. I'm like, I left my body and I was like, this guy on this song is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> whoever, whoever he is. I mean, it's crazy that you say it that way. Cause I mean, that's how I, I was hoping that your answer would be that because that particular record has an energy unlike any other hip hop. I mean, any other record, 
I've ever heard. Y'all know the name. Uh, Farrell fucking Montaigne, the damn thing came. Uh, you all up in your range of shit, inebriated. Uh-huh. Straight from your original plan, you deviated. I alleviated the pain with long-term goals. Slip my underground loop without the gold. You so fat around the world, I so wood in the hood. But when I'm in the street and shit, it's all good. Assume the motivated boom, control the game like boom. Raider rock, clock, dollars, flip. Tips like a way to block shots. Styles greater, let my lyrics anoint. If you holding up the wall and you're missing the point. Um, well, you can't listen to that record and not feel amped. I don't care who you are, um, if you're a fi- fan of hip hop or not, if you've heard the record before or not. There's rare. It's rare that there's a record that, regardless of of having heard it before, it comes on and you feel that way about it. You know, and and uh, I got to tell one quick story because. I worked on the Quality album, Quali's album. You know, I believe that was his first solo. Mm. There had been Reflection Eternal. And he was just on the show, actually, uh, just recently. And we talked mm-hmm. about the whole raucous era. And this particular show, he was at the Bowery Ballroom. It was the album release show. I don't know if you remember this, but I was there. So I'd worked on the record. Dave Chappelle was there. He had just done the intro on, on the record. I think Most came out and did some songs. Which album was it? This is when he put out Quality. And you're on that uh, Gorilla okay. Monsoon rap. Uh, so you must have done that because I think mm-hmm. most came out, you came out, a lot of, a lot of the features came mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. did that. But, you know, th- of, of course the DJ could not help himself. And Simon Says came on and the place literally exploded. Like the people, hats were flying, shirts were flying, cans were flying. <laughs> I mean, did that happen every time you performed that song? Because I remember I went crazy. I was on the side of the stage and, and um, that place went completely bananas. And that's just kind of how I imagine every, I mean, when you perform that song, is that just what happens everywhere? For the most part, man. And, and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely blessed in that sense that, um, you know, we love to perform, man, and I, I never got tired of the of the record. Like I hear a lot of artists talk about how they get tired of performing their hits. Yeah, I love performing the song. It's fun for me to do. I perform that song for sixty five thousand. I perform yeah. that song for twelve fucking people. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm still like throwing the mic stand and 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 <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is yeah. What it is. Literally twelve people. I'm like, ah, yeah, ah. yeah. People are like, yeah, yeah. Well, he's really into this shit, huh? Yeah. One thing that's infectious about it is it it does have an intro that builds up to a drop on a one. Yeah. That seems to be consistent with records like that, and so it's this tension, which me and Lee talk a lot about. Yeah, it's this tension that builds, and it lets everybody know it's okay right now. On this, with this one, we can all let go. It's a, it's a couple, couple of records like that in hip hop. Once I thought to use that intro, you know, this shit is literally written, composed. Godzilla is coming, like right, right. right. It's composed that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. So then they once the record was a hit, who came who came after uh, Rockus or or you guys was it was the Godzilla. I say this in every interview. 
I did my due diligence. I yeah. turned the samples in. Yeah. The thought process was this is an amazing record and it's a hit, but it's never going to be a hit, hit, hit. Yeah. And it became a hit, hit, hit. Yeah. It was on 78 out of 82 stations that played hip hop and R&B rotation, seven films. Yeah. You know, it, it was like, whoa. It was not. Yeah. It was impossible to go under the radar at that point. If all those things were taken care of, it would it would be a bigger hit, even more so. Right. Than, than it was ever. If all those things would have been taken care of business wise it would rank amongst the top records. And I'll tell you why every year since that song came out, I get mail and written and offers for that song to be in major films still to this day. Yeah. 20 some odd years later, we want to use this song in the new Robert De Niro film. We want to use this song as the intro and the, I can't do that. I don't, I don't own, I don't own the rights to this record. I can't license this this record out, but if it was taken care of properly, I would be like, Raz, why are we why are we doing the Zoom? I'll just take my helicopter over to where you are and <laughs> pick you up in the helicopter. Right, right. Oh, and we man. could do it over at Sony Studios. I have a yeah. I have a virtual room over there. <laughs> but um, nah. But yeah, as 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 big as the song is, it would have been colossal. Right, right. You know the 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 album is up now. It's available for the first time for streaming, and it's kids that are still like discovering this shit for the first time it's it's fucking insane fucking yeah, insane that's crazy how so did they make they made you take it off the shelves they made you completely dead the entire album or then it got re-released without that song is that what happened because of the construct of how things were back then it was like what do you do like yeah repress the you know the record up by that time it was like lawsuits and all that shit so it was just like forget it yeah, as, yeah. as well as the record would be gold now, platinum now, oh, whatever e- it would have been. Easily. It, it, it yeah. definitely would have went gold. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. I'm surprised that it wasn't even before that happened. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that everybody yeah. I knew was playing mm-hmm. that record to death when it came out. And, and But I mean, there was a lot. That whole album is classic. I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but we did a gig. This was a few years after that was released. But uh, it was the, the fire department with me and you and Deitch, and we learned a bunch of those songs. And I remember learning the light, and I was like, that guitar shit mm. on the light is so ridiculous and so dope. And I never actually figured out where that sample is from. Do you know where that sample is from, the guitar on, on the light? I think it's West Montgomery. It is West Montgomery. I knew it was either West Montgomery, Benson, early George Benson, and that's a Diamond D production right 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 right. but there's so many so many classics but i were you touring the those early 2000s were you touring like crazy off of internal affairs extensively yeah that's all that i did landed a a really dope nice publishing deal and wasn't even like i was going to stop making music i was on the road with taleb and most and sony playstation tours and these tours and this and that and i was just like like if this is what the the business of music is i don't even know if i want to do that again in that way you know i'm obviously going to make music but not under the same construct of that because it was terrible it was harrowing it was traumatic it was fucking you know 
I, I couldn't even uh, imagine being shelved or I came back around, got through all the red tape. And uh, in the midst of that, started working with uh, Mr. Porter, Denon Porter in Detroit yeah. and working on, you know, just had a spiritual revival. Thankful that I found him because everything about him is kind of like soulful and spiritual and even his dark music has vibes you know in it that that was a beautiful point going into the whole desire era with with mila and showtime and more of a soulful type of vibe coming out of that the whole kind of like thinking behind that is what i had to come through the desire i had to have to come through the other side of that and um i just wanted to do more uplifting music with that album yeah, there's a lot of gospel soul influence and and your singing voice is like more apparent in that record. And really I feel like all the records uh after that did you grow up singing though or were you singing like as a kid or was was that a thing for you? On some on some CeeLo shit or on some Goody Mob shit like one of their videos yeah. my parents used to be like I was the kid that used to be like, come downstairs and perform for our friends. Right. And I would sing like Sinatra and New York, New York, and like just weird ass shit, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but also live instrumentation more so on these records and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, having singers. Like yeah. when you start, when you were performing the Desire stuff, were you bringing singers out with you and or more live instrumentation on the road too? Definitely. The, it was so much anticipation because of internal affairs and it leaked. And I never thought I would like, I was an underground dude, obviously. I never thought I would be that important that I would get the call and like, yo, your album leaked, bro. It leaked on the end. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I remember like the early feedback was like, what's with all this fucking soul shit? And I was like, oh man, they not feeling the vibes. They not feeling the vibes. And I was so determined with the record. And I remember going on the road and banging it out and sticking to it. Going on the road with both Mila, Showtime, and Blind. And 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 doing a lot of this shit even before the the, 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 the record was released. Right. And um it's something I learned from Dela and something I learned from most. Like, yo, do new shit. Like, you know, don't rely on the fucking Simon says, you know what I'm saying? Like, fuck that, man. You know, not a jukebox. Yep, yep. And I was going out there and I was grinding these new songs and people were loving the songs, loving the songs. So I couldn't understand some of the feedback. Eternal was dark purposely. That's my favorite. But I thought people would vibe, you know, a lot to this, this new record. And I remember being in Prague with De La. I think it was Poss on an elevator with Nas and Poss. We were talking music and I brought it up and I said, yo, man, I just dropped my new shit. And it's like, the, you know, it's like, yeah, wishy-washy. And they both were like, yo, these shits are like chapters and children. And, you know, let's have this conversation a year from now, two years from now. And just them saying that made me think differently. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm grinding, and I did Rock the Bells, the one they did with Rage Against the Machine for yep. the Desire album. Right, right. Full band, had the kid beat down on drums, and um, Andre, 
was my music director and bodying these shows, like yeah. going broke doing it, bodying yeah. these shows. And promoters were seeing that show and they was like, yo, 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 you know, they, they just, their set was just phenomenal. We got booked in Australia and we got booked over here and we got booked all around the world. Like we flying the whole band out. It's crazy. It's crazy. All of a sudden we're doing like, you know, regular club gigs and I'm seeing like young people and chicks and heels and different people coming into the shows and realize like you're reaching different people with the different music that you're doing. And so I say about five years later with the surgeons of, of Twitter and, and all this, and I go to really get into it and I go on there and I put up the albums and I'm like, which of these are your favorite albums? And motherfuckers is like, yo, desire, man, yo, desire, man, yo, that desire shit is crazy. B. Yeah. Like I was introduced to this. I just thought back to what, what Pops was saying. And I was like, that's fucking crazy. Like, and it just shows you, uh, you know, you have to be an artist. I don't know where I would be if I stuck to this fucking straight line of thought process of creating shit and internal affairs too. Like, I was like, fuck that shit, man. I'm not doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm gonna move on from there because I have so much shit I wanted to do. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. is going to inspire you most as an artist is always the right answer. It's, but it's hard as hell when you put something out and, you know, people expect one thing and you go another way, but the real heads are going to follow you, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And the evolution continued. You know, I am really proud to be a part of the, the, we are renegades record. I was remembering because that that turned ten years old kind of recently, and I saw you post something about mm. that, and I was uh, remembering because I actually am having uh, Cope on the show tomorrow, or he's he, we're talking tomorrow, and I was remembering that session uh, for the Grand Illusion, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I, we were all in Brooklyn at Rough Magic Studios, where me and Deitch had that one room. And then the and then, then they had the A room there, and you were working on this song, and you were like, "I really want to make it really sound like this record." And you were playing us the record, and we were trying to get that psychedelic '70s vibe, but with the boom bap. Um, and we were we were like to, like kind of zoning it in, and I think one of you guys, I think it was Jean Gray, was in the studio, and she said, "Oh man, it'd be crazy to get Cope on this record." And I had been with him like two days before mm-hmm. and I texted him and I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey man, I'm in studio with Pharaoh. And he's like, Pharaoh much. What? And, uh, I, cause it was already late. It was like, you know, 10, 11. And he came through that night, you know, mm-hmm. late night. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember this, this was just, I don't know why this is so funny to me, but he came in, he did, did the hook, layered the hook. Cause I think Gene, did Gene lay down the hook initially? 
Yeah, she did. She did. And then he he layered it up. And uh, I remember sitting there because and he did it kind of quick. You know what I mean? Because it was kind of right. Mm-hmm. You guys were exactly right. Because mm-hmm. it was right in his zone, mm-hmm. his timbre mm-hmm. and whatever. And mm-hmm. it was it was it was really cool to see it come from like this idea to then he was there because he happened to be in Brooklyn and he came and whatever. But I remember we listened to it like mm-hmm. eight hundred times afterwards because he was like, "Yo, play it back," and and the engineer just kept playing it back and kept playing it back and we kept thinking maybe he wanted to add something. But then like after <laughs> after like the three hundredth play, he was like, "All right." cool and it was like six in the morning and he just like left but <laughs> he kept thinking okay he wants to add something <laughs> else he wants to add something else but uh that record is so cool man i, I listened back to it uh, the whole album really and it has a sound to it um and the mixes and the vibe of it it's got this like you know even though i don't know if it was done really all analog but it has that analog sound um that really takes you somewhere, you know what I mean? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, you always had, uh, even though there's a lot of different producers on your album, you always guide the sound of your records. Am I right? I mean, you're, you're like, he- mm-hmm. cause I, cause I think there's a lot, there are MCs out there that really put it all on the producer to create the sound. Whereas I felt like, you know, you always have a hand in producing your records, whether you're technically producing each track. I've been producing since the jump. Like, and I don't, I don't think that gets credited because it's in hip hop, which is a genre that's marginalized anyway. It takes a while to find the music from the producers that fits the idea that you're going for. I've never been just like, let me pick eight of the hottest beats I could possibly find for for the summer to have eight summer bangers on my album. And the shit starts to sound disconjointed in terms of an arrangement. I've tried to make still, even after it was a long going concept, these albums that stayed consistent, even though you could be like, oh, this is definitely a such and such produced record or this is definitely whatever. You could be like, I see why this fits on this project. You know, even even recently with Knots on the new album, obviously a Knots record, but not typical of what you hear. It's kind of like extra dark, extra spacious, which is what allowed me to add the guy's musicality to it later on in the song. It was, you know, it was open to be added to. You know what I mean? You can't rush that either, which one of the reasons why it takes me a long time because I'm like trying to sift through what I made, ideas I have versus if I hear something incredible from someone, I have to really ask myself, does this shit fit on the project? It's not just take the the, the, the 12 most incredible fucking pieces of production you can find and stick them in there and rap, you know? It has to be some type of theme to it for me. And I, I know that people want that sometimes. They, they're just like, you rap w- really well, just fucking rap. <laughs> I don't want a fucking film. I don't want a fucking concept. Could you please just rap over a fucking beat? Yeah. I get that too. And I like that too. And I want that too. And I have that, you know, but for the most part, 
I'm trying to give you an experience that you could go back to, like you said, with the war album and literally like immerse yourself in that time period and, and new demographic and turn the record around and be like, when the fuck was this made? Like, that's what I enjoy about music. That shit, you know, that's it that makes me listen to it. And I'd be like, this is really good. This is really good. It reminds me of this. It reminds me of this. And then I'm online Googling Wikipedia or whatever. And been like, when, when did they put this out? Because uh, shit has a feel to it. You know, that's important. You know, I do kind of miss a little bit the era of, I mean, even though most people do release vinyl, but uh, credits, man. Cause I grew up looking at credits and wanting to know who played what, and who, what, like you said, did this come out after this record? Because it sounds like it influenced that record, right. but it might have been influenced by that record. Um, I think that's right. such an interesting aspect to collecting music and collecting records is like the timeline and the musicianship and the producers and the engineers. Um, and I hope that that I mean, I know you can Google these things, but I hope that some of the DSPs and stuff like start to put more focus on that because I think people people exactly. would be interested in it. Uh, tell me about linking up with uh, Daru and Marcus and creating the Thirteen Project. Simply put, after I like fleshed out the thought process of where I thought it could go and what I wanted it to sound like, you know, I wanted somebody who had some, some rock chops and obviously hip hop chops because you got to blend in between. And in terms of Daru, again, just discussing the album with, with Lee Stone, he was like, you know, you're not going to necessarily want a hip hop drummer per se, or a drummer that plays a certain timing for the direction of a lot of things that you want to do. You know, we, we talked a lot about that and I was like, I don't know how black and white, how true that is because, um, you know, Zeppelin is, is my favorite and Bonham, when I was doing the research was a big fan of Stubblefield. And the thing that I like about a lot of the Zeppelin records is the pocket and the emphasis that he puts on, certain things in a song and, and, you know, those emphasis, those, the things that he would put emphasis on in the way that he played, the way that he played is the things that would make me say, fuck, you know, I want to write a rhyme to this fucking yeah. beat and I want to, you know, loop this fucking part, you know, immigrant song. I remember I, I, I did a pause tape to immigrant song back in the days when we were working with Paul C. Like that's how far back my love for this genre goes. Yeah. And um, Paul C. obviously knew, everybody knows who Led Zeppelin is. And he was like, yo, that's interesting how you uh, yeah. chop the like off of the shit. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the shit was like, he was like, yo, this is kind of crazy. This is way back in the days. Yeah, yeah. The drum sound and the way that he's playing is like, yo, I body this show, yo. I, I kill this record. You know, I was thinking about all that shit as I was trying to, what's the live experience going to be like? And I just thought that, uh, you know, him knowing breaks so well and, and, and playing in that kind of thing where it's about hip hop breaks and replicating them and replicating the feel would lend itself 
to this project. Um, and Marcus, same kind of thing. I know he's more in the in the funk, jazz, soul spectrum, but I I I've seen him gravitate to a lot of the the Hendrix kind of style of playing. And I was like, you know, if 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 we could get that, then it's nothing to get the Sabbath and the and the Zeppelin feel of playing. If you're in the studio and you're structuring and you're working, you know. So these are my guys. The, the thought process again too was before the pandemic, I was like, I got to get on stage with these people as well because I don't want it to be like hired no guns i wanted to be like a band and they have a lot of they had a lot of history together as well they played a lot together and i thought that would make things easier before we even started to rehearse so that was the concept behind that obviously was strong for me and important to me and integral was keeping the basis of the the hip hop feel and samples and chopping along with a lot of live loose things. Um, a lot of times when cats say they were doing these type of mashups, it would get a little loose. And I wanted that for some of the songs just to show how expansive we could allow ourselves to be to people that are on the other side of the spectrum of their ear. But I also wanted to make sure it wasn't a departure so much from what I normally do. I took a lot of time to think about this because I didn't want to bastardize either side. And I know, you know, people can come in from either side and have their their critiques, but I wanted to make sure I focused on bringing in, you know, some some producers that pay attention to hip hop in a way that that's dear to them that you can hear the guys were tight enough for us to go in there and do a lot of just straight, straight live shit. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the thought process in it. The title is what drove the darkness and the, the thinking behind the writing, which is when are we ever going to uh, evolve into a space as a collective with all the division that's happening. Even as we move forward, it seems like no matter where the the elections that's that's about to come up, no matter where they they go, seems like we're going to have this division now based in this precedent that that's, that has been set. Whoever wins, going to be like, ah, oh, they won because they allowed old people to drink water on the voting line. Oh, they only won because they didn't allow old people to drink water on the voting lines and the whole voter suppression shit and this and whatever else is going on. It's so politicized that, you know, we get away from what's really needed. So the thought process in this was even six years ago was kind of got to be willing to go back and uncover some of the ugly things that are still trying to get suppressed and decide whether we want to deal with that shit or not. I, I don't think any of that shit is going back in the bottle. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here as a, as a, as a country. But uh, it's very, it's very ugly. So I wanted to make a record that's like dark, yeah. ugly. This is 
the reality of what we're actually dealing with. I couldn't even possibly get any uglier than the reality of where we are right now. So I didn't have any qualms about approaching it that way. Now I don't know what you've been told, but it sounds satanic to me. Bodies left cold in the street to die, and all the children in misery. And I said, nah, 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 nah. Amidst addressing a lot of those issues, like the imagery is also kind of influenced by horror films. A lot of there's there's it's just a it's very cinematic to me, Mm -hmm. um, musically and lyrically, and your style is on another level. Like you mentioned Coltrane, and you mentioned Sabbath, and you mentioned um, so many different musical styles. even that in the conversation we've had, and I can hear pieces of that all throughout. Um, now, when you worked with 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 Daru and Marcus, were you a lot of times working off of a beat that a producer gave you, and then embellishing with them, or was a lot of it actually like creating with them in the studio? Both, both, right? Both. Okay. Yeah, like we we jam, hear a groove or melody or riff and it's like oh shit like just <laughs> off a riff yeah yeah like i got it i got it just, just keep doing that yeah keep yeah. doing that did yeah, you get yeah. that did you record that you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so and then uh, and then a lot because of and i'm glad I, I i thought about it this way because of us being separate and and, and, and that rule was uh, in tennessee at the time it was like uh, we we had to do a lot of sharing, so I, I thought it would be best and even quicker as long as it still took to get those melodies and those starting points from producers. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, already. I think as we move forward, we're gonna just block out time and and do what actual bands fucking do. Yeah, yeah. And spend more time as a collective working on melodies and riffs and, you know, actually spending more time, which is going to be excited. We're super excited about the next project and the next record and knowing that now that we have this, this trust, because obviously this process was crazy for them, but they, they, they're super excited about the response and they get it now. Kind of like what my crazy whole fucking thing was. Yeah. It's like, it's nothing, you know, they're going to be able to, I think we're going to be able to turn another record around in half the time. Yeah. I think y'all getting inside a room is going to be crazy. Like just being in the studio. Um, but I'm ex- I'm excited to hear that. Is there uh tours in the works you think now? I mean, obviously it's been crazy even thinking about all that, but yeah, they're asking for dates, but I think actual touring I'm looking at 2022. I can't wait to see that that band live man i'm a huge fan of daru and marcus i've gotten to play with daru um a bunch of times over the years and so when i heard about that pairing i was like okay okay i'm mm-hmm. ready for this and the the album mm-hmm. did not disappoint um thank I know you bro the next shit's gonna be crazy that means a lot man thank I you appreciate it thank you for taking the time man it's been great to catch up with you and man i just i hope that that we get to work together again one of these days Let's do it, man. Let's 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 gig. Let's fucking work together. I would love let's, it. Let's let's try to do it all, man. I would love it. 
Uh, well, meanwhile, take care of yourself, man. And I hope that all this shit opens up soon and and see you out on the road, man. Peace, peace. Right. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much, bro. All right. I want to thank Farrell for being on the show and taking the time today. So cool to catch up with him. Before we go, we're going to play a track that I worked on with Farrell and Citizen Cope. This one's called The Grand Illusion. Just caught up in the mass confusion. 
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.